Hey y'all, you're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we do use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. To get access to new episodes, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast, where we discuss cases covered on the show and other cool shit. As always, thank you for telling a friend and for being a friend. Now, on to today's case. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I just said we were going to record. Okay. Hi. Hi. Here we are. We're ready. I don't know what episode number this is anymore. I've lost no. count. We're in the turdies or farties. I'm not sure. We don't know which way is up. Yep. So, um, welcome to Killer Queens. P.S. Welcome back. So yep. excited. If it's your first episode, sorry you just heard Turdy and Party. <laughs> but you should get used to that because it's not the last time you'll hear it. It's <laughs> certainly not. Um, wait till you get to the 20s. Oh. If you're working your way back. That is. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So today we're talking about a horrible, horrible case. It's going to be rough for everybody. It's terrible. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we watched last week the documentary Dear Zachary. So if you have not seen it, emotionally prepare yourself before you watch it. It is a doozy. It's a doozy. Um, but the case is really interesting in the sense that just all the extradition laws and the child protective services and all of those things, like how they worked or didn't work in this case and it's just insane so um we're gonna start with Andrew Bagby he was Dr. Andrew Bagby and his murder so that's where we're gonna start so on November the 3rd 2001 Andrew Bagby Dr. Andrew Bagby why can't you remember to say doctor all the time I don't know. Drove Dr. Shirley Turner to the airport. He lived in Pennsylvania. And she had been there visiting him. So he's driving her back to the airport. And apparently during this trip that she'd taken there, she found out that he maybe was dating some other people. He no longer wanted to date her. Yes. And... Which is kind of contradictory because later then she tells the police like, oh, we weren't like dating. It wasn't like a serious thing. It was just, you know, kind of whatever. Um, But finding that out really upset her. And actually he had told her, I guess, about a radiology clerk or something or she somehow found out that he was interested in a radiology clerk at the hospital that he worked at. And she called this woman from her cell phone like 20 times Shirley Turner fashion and was like left her messages and at one point told her to meet her at the library and the woman went to the library and she wasn't there and then when she got home there was a voicemail on her answering machine that was like uh, Dr. Bagby hurts people and ask him about the blonde doctor he's been seeing and all this stuff so like definitely trying to sabotage that and where was Shirley Turner, Dr. Shirley Turner living. Was she in Newfoundland then? No, she was living in Council Bluffs, Iowa by this point. Yes, okay. So she and Dr. Andrew Bagby met in St. John's, Newfoundland, 
I'm not sure how to say it. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, when he was in medical school and she was in her residency there, I think, and they struck up a friendship and for whatever reason became romantically involved. And he was like 28 and she was 40. Yeah. Yeah. They were 12 years different. Um, she had three kids from previous marriages, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later. Um, she just, and there's nothing wrong with the big age difference, but it just, no, everybody, all of his friends were like, it just didn't seem, they didn't seem right for each other. And yeah, they didn't really fit. She was really, hmm, what's the way? Emotionally distraught, like all the time. And he was just like a fun loving person. Like in the documentary, I like how Kurt, the guy who made it, his friend, would overlap people's audio like he would ask them about Andrew you know tell me about Andrew and that so many people use so many of the same words to describe him it's emotional to listen to like hearing all that layer over each other and the words that you know they use and just like what a wonderful person he was and what a the way that he made everybody around him feel important and you know, he just cared about people so much. And he was the best man in like 40 weddings. Like he was just everywhere. And he was an only child, but he had so many friends. And um, Shirley just didn't fit. <laughs> like, yeah, it didn't make any sense for them to be together. Yeah. They said one day they met her and then it was just like she was always there and she was always mad and always drama surrounding her. Like she's a fucking nut job is what she was. Yep. I mean, from the get-go. Yes. So, he was done with her by this point. So, they'd been dating off and on for several years. I think they began dating in 1996. Like, not seriously, but just kind of started dating, and then it was, like, off and on forever. But basically, once you meet Shirley, you can, you're you not rid of her. Yeah, like, she's she will like a not disease. Leave you alone. Yeah. So... They, you know, kind of started dating or whatever, and then he moved for a residency to Syracuse, New York, and that, what was that? Was it a surgery residency? Yeah, it was surgery, and he fucking hated it. He, um, she lived somewhere else in the U.S. at that point. Where was that? I don't remember her first place, but she lived somewhere else. He was in New York. He didn't like that residency and then ended up in Pennsylvania, where he was doing family medicine, he fell in love with that. And then she moved to Council Bluffs, Iowa, where she got a job pra actually practicing medicine at that point. So she would go, she would fly to Pennsylvania to visit him often. He visited her one time during that span of several years, and she paid for all of it because she made like $175,000 a year at that point. Damn. Um, so she paid for everything cause he was still in residency. He wasn't, he wasn't completely, he wasn't practicing on his own yet. And back then that was a lot of money even. Yeah. Yeah. Did you just hear my stomach? Was that your stomach? I'm embarrassed. Yes. Oh my God. I thought it was a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go to the that doctor. Was <laughs> okay. So I'm not talking to you anymore. So. <laughs> Um, I'm talking to everyone else. So um, she had been visiting him. And so he now is like interested in dating other people. And so I'm not really sure how she found out about these other two people. Because I really feel like Andrew wouldn't have told her 
Because he knows she's a nut job. Yeah. Like, and what his plan was and what he did was when he dropped her off at the airport that day, so this is November the 3rd, 2001, he says, have a safe flight. We just broke up. Like, we're breaking up. Best wishes. And then he puts her on a plane and sends her away because that's the safest thing you can do. What you don't realize about Shirley is that's... It, they live like 1,300 miles away from each other. And so this is on November the 3rd. And then on November the 4th, she calls him like 40,000 times. And they talk several times. I feel like when he said, okay, you're going to get on a plane now. We're done. She's like, challenge accepted. I, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so she starts calling him the next day. And he was supposed to have gone on a date that night, the 3rd, after he sent her off. And she started calling, asking how the date went and, you know, just like wanting to talk about all that stuff and and weird. She said she found out that that day, um, she didn't, that she found out that they hadn't gone out, that the radiology clerk, excuse me, person had fallen asleep or whatever, gotten off work late or I don't know. They didn't end up going out. So they talked several times on the 4th. And oh my then, gosh, I thought you were going to say on the phone, but started to say the fourth, so it was like on the forn. <laughs> Your forn? <laughs> um, so then she starts driving. Now, later, she's going to tell police that she was homesick from work all day the fourth, that she didn't leave her house, that she was sick and in bed and whatever. And then... Um, In fact, what they were able to trace is that she drove from Iowa to Pennsylvania. Like an exact straight line. And she made phone calls all along the way to Andrew Bagby. And so she called him at 8.08 p.m. and 8.10. Then she called, and that was in the Chicago area. Um, So... It's like in uh, the out-of-towners when they're like, in the Boston area, we're staying in New York. Like, (laughs) in the Iowa area, she called from Chicago. Exactly. So, she called him from Chicago. Then, um, she called at 11.19. She called... I mean, it's just like all over the place. And it's literally an exact map. You can just connect the dots of her exact route to him. Mm -hmm. And she had her gun with her. So she had actually purchased this gun. So this is November. By the time she gets to him, it's November the 5th. So on October the 11th, she purchased a gun permit. On October the 16th, she purchased a 22 caliber handgun. And the person that sold her the gun, it was like a pre-owned gun or whatever. So the person who sold her the gun, she said she needed it for protection. And he's like, well, if you really need it for protection, you should get a carry permit so that you can bring it with you. That way, you know, you have it with you yeah. so that if something happens. And so she's like, I don't need that. Thanks. No, thanks. So she never ended up getting that permit. And then she had visited him on October the 20th. I think that was when they went to a wedding. Um... So when she went to visit him then, she had already started taking her firearms lessons. So she took one before her trip. She goes on the trip to visit Andrew. She comes back. She takes more lessons. And the firearms instructor told the police later that he thought her gun was shit, that it was 
poorly made. It was really bad quality and it it had a malfunction and its malfunction was that it ejected live rounds just sporadically. So that and he also confirmed she bought ammunition and brought it with her and he confirmed that that's the same ammunition that would later be found with Andrews. So she just she might as well have like served it up on a silver platter. And what I don't I can't I mean we'll get into it but how the fuck she didn't just go to jail. Like it it's astounding, but anyway, I'm I'm getting pissed. So, you're getting too hot and ahead of yourself here. I'm getting hot. Yep. So, she shows up at his house at like five o'clock in the morning, five thirty in the morning on November the fifth. So poor Andrew Bagby is like, I sent her ass thirteen hundred miles away, and then I wake up to a knock on my door and it's her. And so he calls his friend, um well he he ended up letting her in and he's like, you just stay here or whatever, right? She was at his apartment. Yeah. And she she said she wanted to meet with him later in private. So maybe he she didn't stay there that day. I might be getting times confused. Anyway, he, she wanted to meet him later in private. So he had to go to work that day. So he called his friend, Clark. And he was like, I have to go meet her, um, but I'll meet you later. So he was like, I'm going to meet her at like 536 or something, and then mm-hmm. I'll meet you at 7. Yeah. So, and Clark is like... Dude, if I send a woman home on a plane and I send her 1,300 miles away and I wake up at 5.30 in the morning to a knock on my door, and that's Shirley's MO, unannounced, uninvited, a billion phone calls. Like badgering. Yeah, and then she just shows up. And it doesn't matter how far away it is. It's not like she lives fucking three blocks away and she stops by. She's driving like 11 hours. Yeah, like cross, cross country. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's fucking crazy Mm -hmm. in and of itself. So, you know, he's like a woman shows up at my door driving that far away without, you know, without me inviting her and we've just broken up and I've sent her on a plane. I'm going out the back door and I'm calling the police like there's something wrong with that. And he's like, I'm just going to meet her. I'm just going to talk to her like I'll be at your house, you know, seven, whatever. I'll bring the beers like it's going to be fine. And, uh. He never showed up. So, and he says, you know, things you need to know about Andrew. He was never late. Mm -hmm. So he knew that it was really, something was really wrong when he didn't show up, when he said he was going to. Um, And he was never late except for when he was born two weeks late. But again, Andrew's never late. (laughs) Yeah, it was just really funny in the documentary. Like, it was really well made. And it's also really cool that his best friend made it because... He knew those, like, things to throw back in there. So when his parents are talking about when he was born and that he was two weeks late, he brings Clark's statement back in. You know that audio? Yes. Things to know about Andrew. <laughs> he, he was, was never late. late. Yes. It's, it's so just really funny. funny. But um, but knowing that, he knew something was wrong, and he's, he started calling him, and he went by his house, and he wasn't there. And then the next morning, they get to work, And for morning report, he wasn't there. And that's really unusual. I mean, it's, you know, and like shift changes at hospitals and whatever. I mean, everybody gets there 
everybody's given report on where the patient is, you know, what's going on with them. You have to be there for that, especially in residency. It's, it's, I mean, anytime, but you're, you, anytime that you miss, it really goes against you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it was very unusual that he wasn't there. So Clark started calling him again. He went back by his house. He couldn't find him. Um, so everybody's kind of starting to get really panicked. Um, then, <clears throat> excuse me. So sorry. Um, so he had, and he was at work that day. So he went to work the day that Shirley was there. You know, everything was fine. He was fine when he left. He didn't seem, I mean, obviously he was actually, when he told Clark that she was there, he said, you'll never guess who's here. And then he said the psychotic bitch, but he wasn't like scared for his life. He didn't seem scared. Yeah. He seemed fine with meeting her. They, she ended up having him meet her at Keystone in a national park. Mm-hmm. I think it just seemed more like she was an annoyance to him than anything, like a real threat, you know? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was just, I've got to deal with this again, mm-hmm. like whatever. So the next day, um, and they, they kind of start talking about like the, the people that he worked with there at the medical like the residency or whatever, Mm -hmm. the hospital, yeah, (laughs) the medical place with beds. (laughs) Um, You know, they say that they ended up, you know, getting called into a conference room. They asked everybody to sit down and they were notified that Andrew had been killed. Well, the way that Andrew's family was notified is horrible. So the coroner's office calls Kate, his mom, and says, um, hey, we've got a message for you from the coroner's office about your son, Andrew. You need to call this number. And she's like, the coroner's office? Like, is he dead? What what has happened here? And the guy's like, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you anything. Yeah, you need to call the number. You've just got to call this number and they can tell you. She's like, what the fuck? Okay, so she gets off the phone and she calls this number immediately. Well, they're closed. They're closed for the day. Yeah, so So, she has to wait until the next day. Yeah, so she calls the other guy back and she's like, what is going on? Like, I'm trying to call the coroner's office. They're closed. He's like, yeah, I can't help you. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Um, You're just going to have to wait. So she started calling the police station there. They told her she had to wait. I mean, and just the way they're talking about it is like, hey, we've got a, you know, a message for you that your couch is being delivered, like something really stupid. And they're notifying her that her son has died. And then when they do tell her, they're like, yeah, so um, your son's dead. He was murdered. um, And this is where you can pick, like, come to identify him. Like and so calloused and yes, so it was just like nothing and she's like that you're talking about a person this is my child so they they lived in california so they had to get on a plane drive all the way to pennsylvania wait did <laughs> yeah. they get in a plane or did I know, they, drive? <laughs> <laughs> they got in a plane and then they drove all the way <laughs> they have their own plane <laughs> what do planes do do they fly <laughs> Or do they drive? No, I think that they swim, actually. Okay, so they got on the plane. They swum all the way. Yes. So they get there, and, you know, they have to identify Andrew's body. And, ugh, God, if you just, if you need a cry, like, just, 
I can't even. Well, Just, there are two ways to accomplish this. Either watch the movie Atonement. God. Or watch this documentary. Jeez, yeah. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. Just, and this is their only child. It's their only child. And it's just horrible. Um, And the, the, the terrible way that everybody kind of handled all of it. It was just, it was, it was really terrible. And then like, you know, they had heard, the people at the hospital had heard on the news that a body was found at Keystone Park in scrubs. And they're like, oh, shit. Whoa. (laughs) And they're like, well, that's Andrew. Like, it's just, I don't know. It was just awful. It was just the whole thing. Like, the whole thing. So, Andrew had been shot five times. Um, He was still wearing his scrubs. He was found face down um, on the ground. There was one live round kind of next to his body. Um... And five bullets actually went in. The autopsy concluded that he had a shot to the head that entered from the back right above the top of the spine. And it exited through like the side of his neck, one to the face, entering his right cheek and exiting the body from the left post auricular region, just like back behind the ear to the chest, entering the like the upper part of his chest And then it lodged in there, um, kind of back into his shoulder is where it stopped. And then uh, one into his buttocks. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think she just, I think she shot him once in the face. And then she just went crazy. Yeah. And actually he had two in his butt. Like, what is wrong with you? And um, he also had a blunt force type injury to his scalp. So the. They don't know what he would have been hit with, but and was that before or after? I don't know the shots, but he was also hit. Um, so, and that was November the 5th. So, when everybody found out, when the police came around to talk to everybody, everybody was like, We know who did it. It was Shirley. Like, obviously, it was Shirley. Right. So, they the police start contacting Shirley and they can look at her phone records and see that she made all these phone calls on her exact route to visit him when she said she was home in bed. They know that she purchased the same type of gun that was used. They know that she had the same type of ammunition that was used. And they knew that when she shot or fired her gun that live rounds would be right. Yeah. Dispensed or whatever. Yeah. So um the police started contacting her. Oh, and they knew that she was there because Clark said he told me she was there. Mm-hmm. And then that dumb bitch logged into her damn eBay account from his oh, from, computer yeah, exactly. that morning. So it's like, obviously you're there. Come on, Shirley. So then the police call her. They start trying to contact her and they're like, you know, we need to, we, you know, they're asking, do you know Andrew Bagby? And she's like, oh, well, you know, we kind of dated, whatever, no big deal. And yeah, nothing serious. Nothing just serious. Casual. Yeah, all this stuff. And they're like, well, you know, we've found him dead. And she's like, um, are you sure? Dead? Huh. Have, have you told his parents? Because you can't do it on the phone. Oh, yeah. And you have to make sure that, that David's with Kate because she'll just be beside herself and so upset and all this stuff fucking hate her yeah um and she actually called andrew and left him a message 
when she got back home. So like when she drove back home, she made one call to him and left a message. And it's like, hey, Andrew, it's Shirley. Just haven't talked to you in a couple days. I uh, just want to see how you're doing. Okay, love you. Bye. Like she can turn it on and on. She's a fucking psychopath. I mm-hmm. mean, just no, no, nothing. Just nothing. And it gets so much worse. I can't even. And this might be beside the point, but her voice is the worst. I hate it. Oh, I hate her voice. Mommy loves you. Ugh. Ugh. Um, so she, you know, she's telling them she doesn't know what happened. She was at home that day. Um, she said, I was pretty much out of it all that day. I didn't go anywhere Monday. Didn't leave the house till, um, this morning, which was Tuesday the 6th. And, um, of course when they check her phone records, they're like, well, uh, no, the fuck you didn't. It's like that one time that I got real drunk and stayed at Michelle's house. Oh, yeah. And I tried to tell mom that I had gone to work the next day because I had to be at work, but I called out because I was too hungover. And so my mom calls me and she's like, where are you? And I'm like, driving to work, mom. And she's like, really? You're driving to work? And I'm like, yep, on my way. No problems here. <laughs> she's like, supposed to do <laughs> well, that's funny because your car is sitting here in the driveway and I was still so damn drunk from the night before that I forgot that Michelle picked me up. And I didn't have my car with me. And I was like, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I was like, no, I know. Um, Michelle drove me. And then I was like, I have to stay at your house all day until I'm supposed to be off work. And you have to drive me. <laughs> it was so stupid. So don't, don't lie kids. Yeah. Listen to uncle Billy. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, so basically they were like, we caught you. Yeah. But what does it matter? The jig is up. Yeah. So then they want to start asking her about the gun because now they found out she's got she's got a gun. She says she purchased it for protection. And they say, do you know where it is? Um, I wanted to. Shirley's got a gun. <laughs> I know. Janie Briggs got a gun. <laughs> um, so they ask her, would you be willing to take that gun and turn it into your local police station so they can send it to us because we want to take a look at it? And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. I'm not going to kid you, doctor. Uh, I'm interested I'm interested in the gun. And you just bought the gun, right? Not too long ago. Yeah. Okay. I bought it for my daughter. Okay. Yeah. But I, maybe if I can remember where it is, let me think. Yeah, she's like, oh, you know what? It might be in my bedroom. Or it could be in my car. It might be in my closet. Um, hmm. Ooh. You know what? Um, I lost it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't have it. The only thing about it is. Yeah. And I so. And then she starts saying, well, I'm trying to just be as honest as I can remember. And she, because they're catching her in little things, but she's acting like 
it's been months like ago, but it's literally been a day and a half. Two days after the murder. Yeah. She's like, I'm trying to be as honest as I can remember about from two days ago. Now I will say that sometimes, you know, I'm like, well, insignificant things you can't remember or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, like what did I have for a snack yesterday? I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like, did I have, did I go to lunch there that day or the day? Before? Like, sometimes you might get days transposed or whatever, but uh, because she says, first she said, I mean, okay, but what she's saying she's by trying to be as honest as she can remember is, was she in Council Bluffs, Iowa, or was she in Latrobe, Pennsylvania? Those are two big fucking different places. Yeah. They're 1,300 miles apart. I can't remember if I drove 1,300 miles two days ago. Yeah. Hmm. Or was I home all day and didn't leave my bed? I get them mixed up. <laughs> like It's hard. I know. Yeah. So, and then she says, I assume from what you're saying that if Andrew died under suspicious circumstances, with the questions you're asking me, it sounds like he's been shot. Can you tell me that? And so the detective says, well, I think you're an intelligent woman and I can't tell you any more than I've told you right now. Um, And so then he tells her very soon, I'm going to have the local police department speak with you. I would like to have you turn that weapon over to them. And so she's like, well, yeah, you know, I don't know, whatever. And then she kind of goes back and forth with like, okay, I got it for protection. Um, I had it with me. And then somebody's stolen it. It's gone. The gun's gone. I don't know where it is. Then later, she changes it to that she gave it to Andrew, that she had given it to him at some point. Um, like, why? Yeah. And when? Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. She wasn't even supposed to have been there. And Yeah. So, of course, they ask her point blank, did you kill Andrew? And she's like, no. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, if I would, if I, if I knew, I would tell you, but I just, I don't have any idea who would have done it. And I, I didn't do any of it. Um, so then they, they find out about the ammunition that she purchased, the fact that it fucking matches the ammunition found at the scene. Um, did you buy rounds when you went over to bullet hole to shoot? And Shirley says, no, bullet hole was the, uh, the name of the place where she took her lessons. That was me. I know it was. Now you're the motorcycle (laughs) tummy. (laughs) So she says, no, I use those uh, pointing to a different box of ammunition because she had bought American Eagle ammunition first. And then she took she was taking her lessons and the guy was like, you need to get some we need to try some different ammunition and see if that will make it not eject like malfunction. So then she ended up buying different ammunition And that's what she ended up shooting Andrew with. So she, I think she got rid of the second ammunition as far as like the extra. So she had that first box, but the, the instructor was able to confirm that that is in fact, because he logged that, the kind of gun she had, the type of ammunition she had, the malfunctions of the gun. He had all that completely logged. Um, So, you know, they keep telling her, I don't think you're really telling the truth. I feel like you're kind of making, you know, kind of trying to change stuff around on me. And she's like, well, I just don't know. I just don't know anything about that. So she starts, they start interviewing her mostly over the phone. Um, I just don't understand. So when they found her phone records, And they could see, you know, her exact route. 
They then had to go back and manually check each of these cell phone towers to be sure, I guess. I'm not really 100% sure, but why they had to manually check these towers. And that process took two weeks. So during that time, now Shirley was born in Canada. Her, no, I'm sorry. She was born in the U.S. Her mom moved back to Canada when she was seven years old with her and her siblings. So she had dual citizenship. She had passports for the U.S. and for Canada. So she was able to go back and forth no problem. She could live in both no problem. Um, So she, during this time, flies back to Canada. And she's there. Which, uh, that's where the whole extradition stuff comes in. And that becomes this big battle. But I guess what I don't understand is if she's also a citizen of the U.S., though, and she's wanted for murder in the U.S., then why can't they just pick her ass up and bring her back here? Yeah. Why do they have to go through the Canadian extradition channels? Because she she does have citizenship here. Yeah, and if I can understand if the crime had been committed in Canada, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it hadn't, so I don't understand. If everything happened in the U.S., and she is technically a U.S. citizen, why? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that part I just don't understand. But so she ends up going back to Canada. And um, once she's in Canada, she starts telling people that she's pregnant. And that's kind of a bombshell. Because at this point, nobody knew that she was pregnant. And actually in that visit in October when she went to visit Andrew, um, I believe that was for a wedding because Heather, his ex-fiance, was there as well. And, of course, Shirley had to confront Heather and make a big deal about it. And, you know, you can try all you want, but he's not going to go for you again. Like, he doesn't want you anymore. And Heather's like, what the fuck? Like, she was there with a man. You know, she's dating somebody. She's well, like, and Heather had said at one point in the documentary like when he found out or when she found out that he was dating someone she was like I was really glad for him like I wanted there was nothing about her that even indicated that she really wanted to get Andrew back yeah yeah she's like but Shirley's a crazy bitch so yeah exactly yeah she's like it makes me sick now but you know I was happy that he was that he had found somebody because he needed to move on kind of thing because it seemed like they were that was a really difficult breakup for him Mm -hmm. um so she told Heather during that trip that she was pregnant and that she was going to have an abortion when she got back home. And then she like called her or something later and was like, I've changed my mind. I'm going to keep the baby. And she wasn't pregnant then. But then when she went to visit him that next time she got pregnant. So, yeah. So they find out that she's pregnant and this is where Kate and David just really, so that's Andrew's parents. They, they're they going to fight for this child because it's the only thing they have left of Andrew. Yeah. And they're amazing salt-of-the-earth people. The, yes, they really, really are. So Shirley settles back into St. John's, Newfoundland, and she's pregnant, and she's seeing her psychiatrist there, Dr. John Doucette. Um, who she knew when she was in medical school. She was friends with him. Um, and she started seeing him on an outpatient basis. And um, they're, they're starting court proceedings because now she's in, she's in Canada 
And now they have to start talking about the extradition and how are they going to get her back to the U.S. and all this stuff because she's definitely charged with murder, but they can't get her back in. So then they start having all these hearings. So there's one in like March and then that hearing is just to set the date for the next hearing. And then the next hearing is like a month later. And then a month later they come back and then they say, well, I'm not ready. So now we're going to you know do it again and again and again. So this stuff keeps getting pushed off, pushed off, pushed off, pushed off. And then they end up arresting her finally after all these things. And then she gets to go home on bail that same day. Yeah. And she didn't have to pay like the, her psychiatrist posted her bail and bailed her out. Yeah. Her bail was $75,000 and he paid 65,000 of it. And then the rest of it was like all she, all she had to do was pay her bail, turn in her, both of her passports and like promise that she wouldn't go anywhere. You know, promise, pinky swear, like, yeah, whatever. So, yeah, she got to walk out on bail that same day on a murder charge. Yeah. And part of that for me, and she had already run one time. Exactly. That's the thing. She, yeah, exactly. She's clearly a flight risk. Like, nobody awards bail to somebody that's already fled. Usually, bail comes off the table for that. So, but there, you know, Dr. John Doucette is saying, well, she's not a flight risk. And, um, and actually what he said was, she's not a danger to society at large. She's she already was, killed the person that she wanted to kill. Yeah. She was angry with Andrew. He, well, the way he said it, I guess was if she's guilty. So he's not admitting that she's guilty, but if she is, she's killed the one person she wants to kill. So like everybody else is fine. But like what David Bagby, Andrew's dad, says in the documentary, most people don't kill people they're angry with. So that's, society is in danger. Yeah. Because, and especially with Shirley's violent temper and how angry she gets at everybody all the time, you never know how she's going to feel or what she's going to do. And let's also just use that for every criminal in the world like oh well they've they've just killed they've killed whoever they wanted to kill anyway so yeah i mean in what world does that make any sense exactly i mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous yes absurd even yeah so they let her go on bail and she's out and um she has zachary so what happens is david and kate then move to newfoundland because they want to be close and be there for Zachary. Yeah, they what they want to be able to do is like cozy up to her enough to get custody. Yeah, just make of sure that once she does go to jail that they've at least been involved in his life in some way that it'll be a smooth transition and that during the time until she goes to jail that they're basically making Shirley happy. So they have to deal with her all the time. They have to talk to this woman knowing that she put five bullets in their only son. Like, and she talks about it like it's nothing. She sometimes will call them and say, um, did Andrew have light hair as a baby? Light colored hair? Like just asking stuff about him as if, you know, stuff I would ask my mother-in-law because my husband's still alive. Yeah, you didn't murder him. Yeah, and we have children together. Like, she talks about him like this is just this warm relationship. And and I can't imagine, like, what that must have felt like for his parents to have to hear that and be like, you 
fucking bitch. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, don't talk about him. And she would, you know. Oh, when she was in jail and she would ask for like a Mother's Day or Father's Day or whatever day. I don't know. She'd be like, oh, it would be nice if you could frame, get a framed picture of Andrew and I and, and give it to Zachary so he yeah. could have that. And yeah, but one of those little frames that say like mommy and daddy and put a picture of Andrew and I in it. And then she's like, you know, have you found a place for that picture yet? What do you think about that? And Kate's like, no, not yet. And she's like, you know, are you okay with that? Putting a picture of the two of us up somewhere. And she's like, no, I'm not quite ready for that yet, Shirley. And she's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, and I just feel like that's such a bitch move. I mean, obviously, but for Shirley to do that, where I don't know, it's like rubbing it in their faces. And, yeah. you know, just like there's no, absolutely no consideration or remorse. She didn't care, uh, obviously, but it's just no. like, ugh. Yeah. It, it's, it's horrific. I mean, it's just the stuff that they had to put up with. Like, I don't know how they did it. And like their attorney, Jacqueline Brazil is like, I don't know how they did it. I know why they did it, but I don't know how they did it. And like in the documentary, you see people start talking about Kate and David and they, he does that thing where he overlaps the audio again, where he there, cause so many people are just like, they're the best people. Like this sort of thing couldn't have happened to better people. Like, they were just amazing. They were amazing parents. They were amazing grandparents. And like part of the documentary shows. So Kurt, the guy who made it was childhood friends with Andrew and they've been friends their entire lives or Andrew's entire life, basically. And they go back and show like all these home movies that they would do. <laughs> and, and Kurt would, you know, he's like making, obviously he's a filmmaker now, but he was very interested in that growing up. And so Andrew was a big actor in a lot of these movies and Andrew, like he gave it 110%. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like, he always liked to be the bad guy in the movies. Yeah. And he liked to play the bad guy. And he said it was like a good excuse for him to be able to curse, you know, and say fucking stuff and like, like, but for a purpose, you know, like, yeah. And not get in trouble for it by his parents. And then eventually like Kate and David actually become part of these things and like, <laughs> like get it on their acting. And there's one scene where Kate has to like slap Andrew across the face. And like, it's just funny to see that like, they're just fun loving people. They got into it with him and they're just having fun. And like all of these people at Andrew's memorial service are getting up and talking and they're telling Kate and David because now they don't have any children anymore. This is their only child. And they're saying like, you still have children. Like you still have all of us. Like we still, and they did, they said that like during that time when they were in Pennsylvania, um, there was a sign up sheet at the hospital. Everybody like they brought them dinner every night. They would just come sit with them. They would just come talk to them. They'd come cry with them. I mean, it's just, these people were, they're all still very close. Like you can tell that they all still keep in touch with, with Kate and David, like they are their parents. I mean, it's really, it's really amazing. Like just to see, you can see what kind of people they are just to Mm -hmm. see how much people want to be around them. But, um, they, they move to Newfoundland so they can be close to Zachary. And part of it is, like you hear people talk about it, it's really difficult to get in and out of that area. 
you can only get in and out of it by ferry, ferry or by plane. plane. And they say that the weather is horrible there. So most of the time you can't do the ferry or the plane because the weather's so horrible. Like one guy said, we have eight months of winter and four months of bad weather. <laughs> like It doesn't sound like a place I would want to live. I mean, no. it looks quaint and... Yeah, I'm sure it's great, but maybe it's an endearing quality if you're from there or something. (laughs) I don't know. I need some summer. So, um, and they would have to, you know, there's, Kate and David were, were trying to make sure that they got visitation rights with Zachary and, you know, they're trying to fight for this. That's why they got the lawyer. But in that same right, Shirley had visitation rights that had to be adhered to. So when she was in jail, they arrested her again, um, finally. So when she was in jail, she they had to drive two hours each way once a week to bring Zachary to visit her. And if they didn't keep up with that, that was just going to go, that would look bad on them for the custody. you know. And they want to get custody, so they're doing everything by the book. And Shirley, when she was out of jail, so they released her again on bail, Um, And this time she didn't have to pay any of it. Mm -mm. Nobody did. Um, This time she just got out on her good word, like whatever. And so when she was out the second time, she made like Kate and yeah, they had to jump through a lot of hoops to a living hell. She um, would say to them like, you know, I don't know what you're saying to him when you're not, you know, when he's not with me and like, I think that you take care of him, but I can't be sure. And she'd have these like absolute emotional breakdowns. Um, I I don't think you want to hurt him, but like maybe you wouldn't hurt him on purpose, but I just don't know what you're doing to him. And, and David has to stop her sometimes and say, you, we're doing what's best for Andrew, for Zachary, period. That's all there is to it. This is the reason that we go through the lawyers so that we don't have these big meltdowns, so that we don't have these big emotional scenes. Do you understand? Like, he shuts it down, He and he said they would not talk about the case with her. She would try to bring it up all the time, um, and they wouldn't talk about it with her. And, of course, trying to, you know, she would bring up Andrew all the time, talk about him, like, you know. And even, I mean, they said that they were happy to do it, but she would have them, like, strip-searched and... Um, whenever like these super ridiculous supervised visits with Zachary. Mm-hmm. So like just whatever she could do to make it super difficult and yeah, and hard then for them. She got to the point where she would make it so that either they had to be supervised or that she had to be there. So they would have to like they wanted to take Zachary to swimming lessons. Well, they had to go with Shirley there. Like she got to the point where she didn't trust them to be alone with him or whatever so they had to spend a lot of time with her I just it's amazing it's absolutely amazing and during all this the child protective services like Kate says we got letters from people in our community before we moved to to say you know that we were good upstanding citizens that we don't have a criminal record like all of these things to support our custody case and she's like nobody ever ever asked us for any of that nobody ever came to our house to be sure that where Zachary was staying was appropriate that it was safe they never interviewed them they never contacted them that is insane to me like I don't I mean I don't understand that how nobody 
gave a tiny rat's ass about this child, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's horrible. I just, that system just failed Mm -hmm. all the way around. And I don't think that's all of Canada or maybe all of Canada at that time. Like, you know, we don't know any better, but it just, that, that, this specific case really did fail. Yeah, it really did. And towards, towards the end there, she started making things a lot more difficult. She started saying that she couldn't consent to more time. She couldn't give them anything more. Like she started getting really just, she started resenting Kate, I think. Well, because Zachary really, really bonded with Kate. Like, he always wanted Kate. And they, like, David had said that when they would have to hand Zachary off, like, he didn't want to go with Shirley, that she wasn't super warm and loving, um, that you could tell that he just was not, he wasn't comfortable with her all the way, but he really, really loved Kate. And so she really, really resented Kate for that because Zachary had a complete trust in her and loved her so much. And it was obvious. Yeah. Yeah. She, and they had a, um, Shirley had Zachary's first birthday party at a McDonald's and Kate talks about how Zachary wanted to get down from like his high chair or whatever And they put him down and he started running over to Kate. And like when he's starting to learn how to walk, you know, they're both sitting on the floor and they'd let him go to walk on his own. And he'd walk to Kate, not to Shirley. And she's right there. And so at the birthday party, Shirley said, well, he loves you. Obviously, he loves you more than me. Why don't you just keep him? And God, I wish she had. Mm -hmm. Um, But throughout all of this, Dr. John Doucette... And all of the the people involved legally in this case are saying there's no significant history of Shirley Turner that would say that she's um, got psychological issues to the point that she's a danger to herself or others. Um, there's no, there's nothing, you know, they didn't think that she was doing anything, um, you know, that they thought that she was taking good care of him and all that kind of stuff. There's recorded phone calls of her saying that she can't afford food or diapers for him. And David is saying, like, I'm having none of that. Like, if you need it, we will drop it off for you. You tell us what you need. We're not going to have that baby go without food or diapers. Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Cause she's like, well, I just, I don't want to keep asking you guys for stuff. It's embarrassing. And and All he's like, stuff. ask, yeah. like, we're happy to give it. He's like, look, I don't have to, we don't have to come into the house. We'll drop it off on the front porch for you. We'll leave it at the door. Like if you don't want us to see you or the baby right now, that's fine. But he needs to be fed and diapered. Like you've got to have that. So it's just, again, nobody was did nobody go and visit her house? She's accused of murder. She's been in jail or let out on bail twice. So she's been in jail. Like, why are they not at least verifying that it's a, that he's been taken care of Yeah, an adequate living situation for him? Yeah. It's just, I just don't fucking understand it. So, um, and I think if they had, they would understand or see that, David and Kate were a much better option for Zachary. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so, of course, you know, she's, she's out. Um, and then on, so Zachary was born on July 18th of 2002. And on August 18th of 2003, Kate and David get a call that Shirley and Zachary are missing. They don't know where they are. Um, and during that time, at some point, Shirley had started seeing a man um, in that area. And I think she'd met him at a bar. And um, they'd gone on a couple dates. And then one of his friends said, hey, that lady is wanted for murder in the U.S. for her the murder of her last boyfriend. So, you know, you might want to watch out. So he tells her, okay, I think, uh, I think this is done. Like we need to break up. And so she fucking loses her shit, of course, and starts calling him all the time and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, she ended up driving to his house on this day, um, August the 18th. And she left pictures of her and Zachary in his front yard, a used tampon, there Mm -hmm. and um left him a voicemail i think and like she parked her car there and then he lived kind of on the water and so she went out back behind his house and she had taken some ativan that john doucette had prescribed her she mixed some in zachary's formula she strapped him to her chest And she jumped into the Atlantic Ocean. And they both died. And they at least, I don't know, I mean, there's nothing. But at least Zachary was hopefully unconscious when it happened. I mean, they said that, yeah, he didn't, he didn't feel anything. He didn't, you know, he didn't know what was happening. Yeah. So if there's any kind of silver lining in that whole thing, it's that he had no idea. I mean, that is the one humane thing that she did if she was going to do what she did. Mm-hmm. But because I kind of wouldn't put it past her to to take Ativan herself and not, you know. Yeah. I mean, at least she did that, I guess. But um, and in the documentary, when Kurt is saying this, he stops like he starts to break and then he like has to say it again. Like he it's ugh, it's awful. Um, so. After this happens, I mean, they have to do an investigation because had she not been let out on bail, Zachary would still be alive. He never should have been in the care of her during this entire period. I mean, Kate and David had to lose their only son And then they had to lose their grandson. And in between that, they had to put up with her and they did everything by the book and they did everything that they could by the legal, you know, trusting that the system was going to work, that the system was going to put her in jail and that they wouldn't have to deal with it anymore and that they could protect that child. And And it, it failed them. It didn't. It did not work. And so now they are activists and they're trying to get laws tightened to say that to protect children whose parents are accused of premeditated murder because 
they want to be sure that these children are safe and put in homes where they are safe and that these people are not allowed to get out on bail, not until they've had their trial. And he, David also, part as part of that, he wants there to be laws where the trials are like fast-tracked. Like none of this, like two years, you know, until the trial starts and they're just sitting in jail because there are people who are wrongly charged or wrongly convicted too. So it is within our rights to have a, a speedy trial. But so he's like, let's just get to it. Let's get to the trial. Let's get it over with. And, but during that time, it's, I mean, especially in Shirley's case, it's too dangerous. So one of the things in the documentary they kept doing was he would go, he would go back to that, the woman who was saying, you know, nothing in her history indicates that any of this would have, you know, that she was a danger to society or anything like that. Well, in 1999, she had a suicide attempt. And after that, she was placed in psychiatric care inpatient. And then she moved to outpatient. Um, In 1999, she also was dating a man. This was the man that she was dating. And then, so her suicide attempt was on his front doorstep basically he lived in an apartment but he gets home one night after she had gone back home over a thousand miles away and he gets home and she's just there the bitch likes to travel she really does and she's like slumped up against the wall like laying on the floor outside of his apartment she's wearing like a long black dress and she's got roses like (sighs) she's a flair for the dramatic yeah she's like holding roses and she's basically like out she'd taken an entire bottle of uh, unisom and an entire bottle of nauzone which is a nausea medication they don't have it in the u.s it's in canada we have something similar i guess but she'd taken an entire bottle of each of those and so she was pretty out of it and she had two suicide letters on her one to him and one to her doctor and um you know and all this is because he'd broken up with her and she couldn't handle it. And before that, when they were dating, when they she had come to visit him, he said that they were walking home one night from wherever they were, and she was carrying her shoes because this bitch never had her shoes on. Like, there's like film. Of, oh, and that at the wedding, she at the wedding, she's yeah, bare. She's the only person barefoot. Like I, I've done it. But, but you've like, been really drunk though, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure she was pretty drunk. Or, well, well, I would hope. But yeah. anyway, yeah, she's never actually wearing her shoes. So. She gets pissed at him, and for whatever reason, he's like, the reason that she got pissed, he doesn't even remember. It's so insignificant, but she gets so angry at him that she takes the spike of her high heel, like she takes that foot, foot, she takes that shoe and clubs him with it, like in his jaw, and like, he was like, after that moment, I never doubted her propensity for violence like she's small she was like five foot and 100 pounds or maybe five three or something but he was like she terrified me and he said that after he found out about um andrew's murder that he he had roommates where he lived and um that he started double bolting his bedroom door And that his roommate, one of his roommates, every single night slept on the couch. They alternated who slept on the couch. And he stayed in his room double bolted. And that person slept with an axe because they were worried that he was next, that she'd just show up. So, I mean, they were... Did he contact, I wonder? 
He did. He reported her to the police because when she did the suicide attempt, he reported it. Um, after that, she started harassing him via phone call. I mean, Shirley would leave somebody 200 messages in a day. I mean, no problem. And he started report like when she would show up, like he said all the time, he would just get a random knock at his door and it would be her. So he would call the police immediately and say, she's here again. Like, why didn't anybody take her seriously? I don't understand. And, and all he can do is report it. So had the police taken that seriously, I mean, stalking is so dangerous. And that's what she was doing. And they never arrested her. I mean, so, but to say that there's nothing in her history that, well, and she was on, when she was arrested, she was put on suicide watch every 15 minutes. Yeah. They said. Things could have turned out differently. We'll just say that. Yeah, things could have turned out differently. But yeah, absolutely. She was on suicide. Like, obviously, she was at least a danger to herself. But knowing that she'd murders, there was no secret that she murdered Andrew. There's no secret about that. It's 1000% tied exactly to her. Mm -hmm. So, and she had every motive in her mind. Like, there's clear motive there. So, absolutely, she killed Andrew. And absolutely, she's a danger to everybody else. And she so needs to control everything that that's exactly what this murder-suicide was. I don't want somebody else to have control of this situation. And the fucked up, other fucked up thing about it is, is that she has three other kids from her previous marriages. And these kids, she just left them. Like, when she was in medical school, she got to the point where she said, told her family, quote, that she'd gotten to the point in her studies that it was incompatible with parenting three children. (laughs) And so she just sent them to live with other people. I'm like, sorry that you decided to have children and then you, like, you made the choice to have kids and then you're like, well, this is actually not working for me anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like, Every choice that you make after that, it should not be incompatible with you having children. Like, you still have the children. But, and she actually sent, one of her kids was 15, so when her oldest son was 18, he wanted to start college. And then her 15-year-old daughter, her older daughter, who she had been reported before by somebody who was, like, staying with them at one point. She was, like, running out of room to some guy that she knew or something. He reported to Child Protective Services then, this is years and years before all this happened, that um, Shirley was abusing the children and specifically the older daughter that she would open hand strike her, that, you know, for no reason, like just always like hitting her, abusing her, all this stuff. They reported it. He reported it and said, I had to move out because of it. And Child Protective Services called Shirley and left her three messages and uh, noted in the chart that she was unavailable to talk during the day because she was in medical school. And they closed the file without ever even talking to her. They're like, well, we left three messages. That's all we can do. And closed it. Wow. That's it. Wow. And, um, you know, had that been taken to where it should have been taken, none of this probably would have happened. Um, and then even after she started dating Andrew, there was one point where they went to visit David and Kate when they still lived in California and she had, she flew her three children out there to meet them. She got an argument with the older daughter and hit her across the face in front of them. And it's just, she's, 
awful. And then, so her 15 year old at the time that her son started college, her 15 year old said she wanted to move to Ontario because she had been dating a boy and he moved to Ontario and she wanted to move in with him. And so Shirley technically had custody of her, even though she didn't live with her. She lived with her her mother-in-law, her ex-mother-in-law. So because she had custody, she got to give the consent or whatever. So she allowed her 15-year-old daughter to just move to Ontario. She paid for her plane ticket to get there. And um, as long as you're not my problem. Yeah. And that should have been cause for Child Protective Services to intervene. They didn't. Like, just nothing ever happened. I just... It's awful. So, so David's mission now is to get these laws changed to protect the rights of the children who are involved in situations like this because it's so dangerous. It's so, so dangerous. So, and it's just so sad to me that like something like this had to happen before yep. anybody takes anything seriously. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, when are you going to get a stoplight put at a certain intersection enough people have to die mm-hmm. like you know it's it's horrible that that's the way that the world works unfortunately yes um and actually um so they had a great memorial service for zachary in newfoundland um they said hundreds of people showed up um and the the person who ended up claiming shirley's body was her first mother-in-law who she was an absolute bitch to as well. Like when her son was born, her oldest son, this mother-in-law would, you know, buy him gifts and wanted to come visit him. And she pretty much would not allow the woman to see him. And in her baby, in his baby book, if she, you know, she would write down all these kind of things and anything that had to do with the grandmother, she left completely out. Like she didn't include any of it in the book. And, um, and those, she ended up sending the kids to live with her. And this is the woman who ended up claiming her body and and burying her. And the police actually kept Zachary's body separate from Shirley's. They wrapped him in a blanket, not a bag, and kept him away from Shirley, which was, I guess, at least one thing they could do, especially after the fuck up with Andrew. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the same police station, but still, it's just awful. Um, So that's it. Yeah. That's the doozy. It is quite the doozy. Yeah, it's uh, it's a rough one. If you just if you watch Dear Zachary, just like be ready. Know that you're gonna cry. Wear waterproof mascara. Just hydrate before, maybe <sighs> hydrate before because you will cry all of your tears out of your entire body. Yeah. Oh, your entire oh the tears that are inside of your body. You're not gonna cry them out of your entire body. No, that's you need to go to the doctor if your tears come out of your, <laughs> every orifice of your body. I don't know. I mean, I'm, there's no judgment. I mean, whatever happens, I'm just scared for you. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the doctor if that happens. Yeah. Let someone know. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for depressing us, Torella. Yeah, I know. I, I, this case is an interesting case. And for whatever it's reason. Important. Yeah. I wasn't. Ex- I, I can't believe I didn't cry this time. I felt like I was watching you and it was touch and go. It was very touch and go. Yeah. But uh, we made it. Yes. And yeah. So um, minimal motorcycle stomachs. Yeah. (laughs) And they're actually at the end of the documentary. I need to pull up the website 
um, to go and because you sign can up actually, to be, yeah, you can like sign a petition or write a letter just to add to helping to change that. So I'll find that and post it um, on the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thanks a lot, and thank you for giving us our best month of downloads. Oh my gosh, you guys, we had almost eleven thousand downloads in September. We are not worthy. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are awesome. Um, Thanks for the reviews on iTunes. We've gotten a few extras or a few more. Um, So once we get to 100, we'll put out an extra episode. Ooh, extra, extra. Read all about it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, thank you so much and hope you have a blessed week and love, 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 love. Yeah. Bye. Bye.